0: Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi, I'm Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. When you chose your career, how much did you really think about it? Right, You saw something on television. CSI, being a doctor, whatever it happened to be, and that's what you thought you wanted to do. But how well did you plan that out? How many of you ended up in the career of your choice after four years or maybe six years of college? And maybe you're well into your career and it's time to make a change. But regardless of whether you're currently an executive leader, a manager, someone in transition, or frankly, just even starting out your career, maybe finishing up college. There's a lot of different aspects that we're missing from the skills that we learned, the knowledge that we learned in college, and those were soft skills. How do we interview, negotiate, solve workplace conflicts, or even be a good leader? We typically learned on the job. I know I did in many of these situations. I had an opportunity to be trained actually by a recruiter, friend of my uh, family, who put me through a battery of questions every week trying to get me to understand how to communicate in an interview. Of course, I got on my first interview and I freaked out and I f- know I did a horrible job, as I'm sure a lot of us do, is we get a little tense because we want that first job. But what we learned about those skills, those soft skills, we never really learned In college we entered the workforce unprepared as it and we and me and you and so many other people have done so so my guest today is Mark Hirschberg and he realized the same thing and over time in understanding these he has now written a book called the Career Toolkit so you need to listen in on this because there's a lot of great information that we're going to be discussing today about different areas that you might have not developed those soft skills on, whether it's career planning, working effectively, interviewing, whether you're on the candidate side or the employee side, leadership, management, communications, how to network. Nobody teaches us how to network, right? How to negotiate. Man, I could tell you I left a lot of money on the table in some of my negotiations till I figured out how to do it. There's so many different things that we do in our day-to-day business life and frankly, our personal lives, that we don't know because we don't know. So again, stay tuned. This is going to be a fascinating conversation as we explore the Career Toolkit with Mark Hirschberg. So don't go away. I'll be right back. I'm going to give you a little refresher. A chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity. And that growth starts with a vision. What is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture realizing the lifetime value of that customer as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. Visit theponzigroup.com to learn more. As I mentioned, we're talking to Mark Hirschberg. He has written a book called The Career Toolkit.
1: Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm excited we were able to do this. I think there's, uh, I mean, uh, looking at your book and, the, and kind of the structure of it, there is so much great content in there. I think we need a, a, a weekly podcast in order to cover all the topics. But we're going to try to get a, a, across the, through a lot of the content today. and. And I I really have some interesting questions I want to ask because I, I actually have been involved in a program that was designed to help, started off as high school students, identify their best career path, then work backwards to determine their best major to support that career, and then work backwards again to find the college that best offered the best opportunity, as opposed to looking for the college first, as my kids did, and then eventually they get to some career where, you know, chances are they they were not even going to use it. So I was excited to read about this. And uh, I I think identifying the career path is is so important. But before we go down that path, why don't we take a few minutes, tell the audience who you are, talk about your book, talk about what you do, and let's let's kick it off.
1: Sure. Uh, My background began coming out of MIT in the 1990s during the dot-com era. And I began my career as a software developer. Now, I early on realized that I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But to lead a department, to become an executive, it wasn't just about being a great programmer or a great marketer or a salesperson or whatever your department is. It is all these other skills, leadership, communications, negotiations, having a strong network, team building. No one ever taught that to me because school wasn't designed for that. And so I realized I had to learn these skills on my own. Now, when I began, we didn't have, the internet wasn't as developed, there weren't as many books, we didn't have great podcasts like this one. So I had to begin teaching myself. And I realized this was important, not just for people who wanted to be a C-level executive, but for all employees. So I began to look for it in people I hired, but couldn't find it there either, because like me, they were never taught. So I began training up my own teams. Shortly after that, MIT had been getting feedback from corporations saying, we want these skills and the people we hire, not just to have MIT in general, but we can't find it. So can you do something about that? So MIT started a course to try and teach this. And when I heard about that, I said, you know, I've been working on this. Can I help you develop this course? I've got material. Happy to give it to you. They said, yes, please do. So I helped create the course. It's known as MIT's Career Success Accelerator. And I've been teaching there subsequently for the past 20 years. So I've had my primary career building tech startups. I've made companies from three to 300,000 people. I've tracked terrorists on the dark web. I've built all these online marketplaces and a bunch of cool stuff. But I've also been teaching at MIT and other universities, helping people with their professional efficacy.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you're, you're absolutely right. Until we get into the business world, we discover what we don't know. And how to deal with it. I, I, I had a business coach on or not too long ago and, and I made the comment and they agreed. And I think you will too, that, you know, we don't, people aren't born great leaders. There might, there might be some, but uh, eventually it comes through their experience and, and understanding how to, to deal with people and understanding how to motivate. And what are those drivers that you inspire? And so you know, I, I never saw a course that said Inspiration 101 <laughs> on my curriculum, right? So in, and unless the, the corporations that we work for, the organizations, you know, provide these uh, calm, soft skills and, and teaching people how to do that. I mean, a lot, a lot of folks are at a loss. And I have young sons, you know, in their 20s that are out there now leading people. And, you know, they weren't trained with those skills.
1: And as is implied by your friend's point, these are learnable skills. That's a common question. Can you learn to be a leader or are you born as one? But all of these networking, negotiating, team building, all of these skills can be learned. Now it's true. Some people are naturally better at it, just like some people are naturally better soccer players, right? Or naturally better at music. But I happen to not be great at music. But if I put the time in, and I took lessons, and I learned, yeah, I can learn to play. I may never be Yo-Yo Ma, but that's okay. If I just say, "Oh, I want to learn to play." Great. And so you don't have to be the best leader in the world, the best negotiator in the world, if you just learn to get better. It's going to help you. And maybe you have a head start because you're naturally good, but even if you're not, don't think, "Well, I can't," because we all can. Now, unfortunately, as you noted, Colleges don't teach this to us. In fact, colleges are very misaligned to this. If you think about what we learn in college, let's say you go and study accounting. So what happens? You go take a bunch of accounting classes because these professors who have PhDs and are experts in accounting say, well, this is what you need to know to be declared an accounting major. And if you take this many classes, we will say you are now designated to have a certain level of knowledge that we're going to call a bachelor's in accounting. And that's what your degree says. It does not say you're a good accountant. It does not say you're a good employee, a good coworker, a good teammate. All it says is we have validated you have this level of knowledge of accounting, but that is no longer sufficient to be a good or effective worker in today's world. So college, unfortunately, is misaligned to many of our needs.
0: Interesting. You know, there's a, and, I, and I'm going to call it because of the pandemic, but certainly through digital transformation, all these courses that are coming out now, all these soft skills courses, you know, for 57.95, you can get, you know, 10 classes and they teach you all these things. And, and I, and a lot of them do address these issues and how to better understand. But again, I think sitting in your, your house and watching a 30 minute course on being a better leader that's great and but you have to still have to put it you have to put it in action in order to experience
1: how that works so you have hit the nail on the head when it comes to how we need to learn these skills because this is very different than accounting or marketing or physics or what we've learned in college most of what we've learned in school is knowledge transfer your high school geometry teacher said, here's the formula for calculating the area of a triangle. And we said, okay, great. I'm gonna memorize the formula. Show me a triangle, I'll apply it. Right? All you had to do was memorize and repeat rules for grammar, dates in history. Unfortunately, there is no simple rule for how to be a leader. There's no series of dates you remember and suddenly you're a great communicator. These are not algorithmic processes. And they are subtle, complex, situation-specific applications of fundamental skills. The best way to learn them, the way they're taught at top business schools, the way we teach them at the MIT class is really through a peer learning model. And now you can create this on your own. So what you wanna do is create a group of peers. You can do this within your organization. If you're a leader, set this up within your department. If you're an individual, ask HR to help or just do it on your own. And if your company won't, just do it on your own with people outside the company. Create a local meetup group. So create a group of people. I recommend being in smaller groups of six to eight people, but I also describe how you can do this in larger groups. And what you wanna do is sit down and discuss these topics. So if, for example, you were to take my book, you can chop it up into pieces, say we're gonna read this section of the book, and then we're gonna talk about it. Because as we talk about communication, I bring up, oh, I was in this circumstance where I had this challenge. You're gonna say, well, you know, Mark, I would have done this. I'd say, wow, Angela, what a great idea. I wish I thought of that. And I'm gonna learn from your perspective. Now, I don't want us to come off as I'm just trying to get you to get your friends to buy my books. So you can go to my website, and download for free the careertoolkitbook.com on the resources page. You can download this guide for how to create this peer learning. You can use my book. You can also not use my book. You can read any of the other great books I list there. You can use articles, YouTube videos, great podcasts like this one. You can listen to this podcast with the group and each week discuss what you learn and that's gonna be a great way to apply these skills. So the key point is to create this peer learning group and then discuss content from this podcast, my book, or any other source you like.
0: Yeah, and that's great advice. I mean, it really is, you know, putting it into practicality. Otherwise, it's just stuff you've read in the book, and you don't know if you're going to implement it. I want to talk about, I want to move into the book in a, in a second. But there was something in your intro that just caught my attention. So, and, and I'm not sure if this always sidetrack the podcasters that you deal with, but track criminals and terrorists on the dark web. I'm sorry, i got to take a few minutes to to ask that question. So what did that entail?
1: (laughs) My graduate work at MIT was in cryptography, basically secret codes, Mm -hmm. which these days is how we keep your data secure online. Now, I've done a lot of defensive work, coming up with new types of authentication systems and new ways of securing data. But we also, throughout my career, I've been involved in other aspects, including perhaps more offensive capabilities. So at one of my companies, we used to go to the dark web, which is where a lot of cyber criminals and terrorists hang out. And we did intelligence gathering. We would gather information about who they were and what they were trying to do and how. And then this information would go to our corporate customers as well as uh, various government agencies who would use it to plan their offensive and defensive capabilities.
0: Okay. Very interesting. I I worked for a company that through its process was able to kind of deconstruct, I'll keep it simple, but deconstruct personalities and then reconstruct them to determine who in the tribe, right, in, in, in the wars that we've been in, who in the tribe was most likely to become a leader and who in the tribe was most likely to be favorable to the United States. It was a really, really, really fascinating uh, process that that was utilized. And uh, I was on the commercial side, so I didn't actually get totally into it. But just to, that's about as much as they let me know um, for. But it was just fascinating to, to hear just the bits and pieces of the stuff that they were doing. You know, so, again, it's how to use data, how to use intelligence, how do you use the information? And, and a lot of that happened to be around communication and, and listening skills, which uh, I, well, we I wanted to just bring that up because so much about we're talking about, you're talking about the peers, peer groups and, and kind of having in this experience, it's about listening as well. I did a podcast a few weeks ago where I talked about being an active listener. I personally find that a skill that a lot of folks don't have. They tend to thinking about the answer, um, you know, before you finish or more importantly, thinking about what they're going to say and not even answer to your question or do follow a follow up question. And I think that's a real soft skill that, that is totally lacking. And I think kind of goes around into the kind of the areas that we're going to talk about and your book.
1: Yes, I, I remember hearing that as are you listening or are you waiting to speak? And that really resonated with me. But to your point now, the skills in the book, they all really do interplay with each other. It's hard to develop just one skill in isolation, but communication certainly underpins a lot of it because a good leader needs to know how to listen to those she leads as well as how to communicate her ideas. A good negotiator, he needs to listen to the person across the table to understand what is it that they're saying. A good interviewer needs to read between the lines. So all of these skills really are underpinned by communication.
0: So, When I think about the book and we talk about career, I mean, is or is it really designed for one of these groups or is it for executives or college students or people in transition or I mean, who is it really written for? Is it written for everybody?
1: Great question. It really is for everybody, but it can be used in different ways to someone early in his or her career. This is a great just starting guide right it's going to give you an overview of all these different skills help you create a career plan and this is certainly valuable the first couple decades of our career in our 20s and our 30s there are some folks who might be mid-career who say look i know where i'm going i i don't really need the career planning that began chapter one but there might be particular skills maybe you have to get better at negotiating in chapter nine or networking in chapter eight So you might want to jump to one of those skills. And the book is really designed where you can just jump from one chapter to another and don't have to read it in order. If you're an executive, you might recognize you have most of these skills already. You feel, well, I don't need the book. Maybe you do for some of them. But if you don't, certainly your department can benefit. If you had ever on your department showing more leadership skills, being stronger communicators, even more effective at interviewing, how well will that help your department. So you can use this. Senior leaders will often use this to help grow their teams. Okay.
0: You, you, you use the word interviewer. And so I, I find that in, in most of the companies that I've consulted with and or worked in, leadership, people responsible for hiring, are horrible interviewers. And 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 the flip side, a lot of the people being interviewed have no clue about how to actually act or respond to questions in an interview. When I when I first came to California after college, my brother-in-law introduced me to a, a headhunter, not to find me a job, but to interview me. I met with him once a week. We had lunch and he did nothing but interview me, all different styles of interviews. So I could try to find a rhythm and how I might respond to things. And you know, some of the questions sometimes are very frustrating. So I, I had an advantage, but a lot of people just walk into a job and they start talking and ramble on and don't know what they're doing. And people that are supposed to be interviewing senior leadership for the company have no no clue. And I can ramble on about that, too. So how can the book and in your recommendations for people on both sides of the fence?
1: I really want to emphasize this point you bring up because it is standing in plain sight, but we miss it. Most executives I know have had zero interview training, right? The thinking is, well, you've been a candidate. You know what an interview is. Go do it from the other side. Right now, the equivalent would be saying, hey, Mark, do you know how to cook? Have you ever made food? And sure, okay. I cook every day during the pandemic. Okay, great. I've got a restaurant. Go stand in the back and cook food, right? Mm -hmm. Just because... (laughs) Yeah, I can make a sandwich. I can make some basic stuff. You don't want me running your restaurant, right? You want the professional trained chef. Well, the people who are interviewing need to be trained up. Now, it doesn't just mean, well, only HR. You certainly want people in the department interviewing, but we need to train them to do so. And most of us have had zero training in how to interview. And yet we always talk about, well, people are our most important asset. You know, we only want to hire the top people you've had no training in how to do that. So in the book, I break up into two parts in the interviewing chapter. Now, certainly there's lots of content for candidates out on the web. I didn't want to repeat that. So I just really kind of give an overview of what you need to do as a candidate philosophically, how you want to convey yourself, the type of messaging you need to bring, how that works in particular interview. that's, That's lots of other content out there that can help you with that. But then I flip it around and look at from the hiring manager side. So for those who are hiring and have had no training, which is nearly everyone, this is going to help you think through how to ask questions, what to look for. Now, as a candidate, if you're smart, you're going to read that section as well and say, aha, this is what they're looking for. Great. Now I know how to play into those types of questions and think through how to convey myself to that type of person.
0: What do you think, you know, it, it, it's, it's always a question of if you're thinking about hiring somebody, I'll go pick on a marketing person, right? So I'm going to hire a marketing person. There's a certain skill set I expect them to have, and it's going to be easy to figure that out. But it gets beyond that. It gets about, are they the right fit for the culture? How are they going to interact with other people? And if they're in a senior spot, how are they going to be a leader? A friend of mine who's a recruiter, any candidate, and it's usually executive, but any candidate he feels is might be the right candidate, he takes them to lunch and he watches how they behave. He watches how they treat the waiters and the waitresses. He watches what he does, how he communicates, his body language. And, and so he can get a feel for the person and not just how they answer, yes, I understand marketing and blah, 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 right? And, and so, again, that's a skill set that kind of goes along with what we're talking about.
1: I have in the book the story of, I believe I used this one, the CEO who would bring a candidate to a local restaurant and had the waitress intentionally screw up the order. Now, she knows this is what she's supposed to do. She knows she's getting a big tip for it, but he wants to see how will the candidate react when there's a mistake? Will he just be quiet? Will he complain loudly? Will he complain politely? Whereas I say in the book, we're always interviewing, whether we know it or not. Uh, We're always sending this type of signal. But to your point, certainly there are the mechanical skills. If you look at most job descriptions, they say knowledge of ABC, experience of DEF, very easy to measure, right? Do you know this? Okay, you say you do. Let me ask you a few questions. Yep, you know it. And that's what most people focus on. Certainly you want someone with a level of knowledge, but these other skills are much harder. Because if you don't know how to run Google Ads as a marketer, okay, you know, if you're smart, you can figure this out in a couple of weeks. And I don't mind if for the first two weeks you're figuring it out, because otherwise I'm just looking for another candidate for two, maybe four more weeks. But what I can't teach you is how to be a good teammate, right? That's not as easy for me to teach you over a couple of weeks. It's a longer term type of goal, it takes a lot more work, and you have to be open to learning those skills. So as a hiring manager, I'm going to say, if you don't have all the mechanical skills, as long as you're close enough, I can probably fill in the gaps. But if your personality doesn't fit the communication, the culture, the leadership, the attitude, that's a lot harder to change in the short term.
0: Yeah. it's uh, I I took on a consulting role and I inherited a director of marketing and like a 10 person marketing team. And and just watching them and how they interacted and how the leadership from the director of marketing was and how he communicated. But I, I noticed that follow through was, was weak. And so, and, and spending a lot of time with, with him trying to figure out where the, where the breakdown was, was it him or was it the other people? And again, looking for the skill set and looking for how he led. And it was a combination thereof. It actually was he admitted eventually that he was a horrible manager, that he couldn't, he his follow through was horrible. So that, at least I knew that now because he actually had a good skill set from a marketing standpoint. So we worked to try to get that stuff fixed. And again, how did he communicate with people when he was fearful of, of bringing stuff up and, and how he could do that in a positive way versus a negative way and those kinds of things. And again, it's like we're talking, it's not something that you're necessarily born with to be able to navigate that world.
1: Right. But that is the first and most important step. There's a learning model that's a simple four-step model. We have what we unconsciously don't know, then what we consciously don't know, what we consciously know, and then what we unconsciously know. So let's think about this concretely. When we're two years old, we don't know that we don't know how to drive. We're barely aware of what cars are that we get in them and so has to drive them when we're older, let's say eight years old, we say, oh, yes, someone drives the car and I don't yet know how to do that. So I'm conscious that I don't know this. Now, at some point you start to learn, maybe at 16, you get that learner's permit, say, okay, I'm driving and don't bother me. I got to remember 10 and two, I got to really focus, you know, can't have distractions. And then when we get older, we say, yeah, you know, it's driving a car. It doesn't require my full attention I can, hopefully requires enough of your attention that you're not getting an accident, but you can hold a conversation, you can change the radio without really putting yourself at risk. And so many of us begin with that unconsciously unknowing, I don't know what I don't know. And that's where people trip up or you get the Dunning-Kruger effect where you think you know it, but don't. And when you get to that consciously unknowing, you say, okay, I realize I have a shortcoming in this skill or knowledge that leads you to be able to address it. And that's the first step to really getting competent in any of these skills. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you find in, in in the work that you've done in your teaching that it takes a while for people to get past or in, admit that they don't know? I mean, there's a tendency to, you know, fake it until you make it kind of thing. And and I find sometimes like people are putting up a front when I know they don't know and I know they're afraid to admit that they don't know and, and, and trying to get them to get to that place I find is difficult sometimes. So is that part of the classes that you teach and, and in from the book too as well?
1: Yeah. I really hate the phrase, fake it till you make it because exactly people think I'm just going to pretend I'm going to go forward and not admit that I don't know. I am always saying, yeah, I don't understand. I don't know. And, occasionally people, they're so not used to a boss saying this, it gets confusing for them. But I want to create that culture where we can all admit, hey, it's okay to say, I don't know, but here's how I'm going to go figure it out. Now, for the people wanting to learn these skills, I'm somewhat lucky. There's a sample bias, right? Everyone who comes to my class, the folks who read my books or listen to me speak, they're self-selecting saying, I know I need to get better at this, and I want to consciously learn and improve, right? The ones who are too afraid to admit it or don't tend not to to come. Now, within the class itself, we do activities. It's not a lecture-based class. We do activities designed to elicit failure based on competency in these skills or rather lack of competency. So the students, when I do it with MIT students, are all very smart, very technical people and they do the math right, but they're not as focused on say the teamwork or the communication. And that's where they run into trouble. And then when they fail at the activity, we can debrief and say, okay, what happened? Why did you fail? And start to recognize it wasn't because they couldn't do the math, it was something else. And in that moment, they start to say, you know what, there's this other skill where I'm not as competent as I am doing calculus. Now, I I unfortunately can't do the activities through the paper of the book, uh, but I do, you know, at least convey here's the concepts and hopefully can raise that awareness. And as you have those discussions in the peer group, you can start to recognize, well, you know, here's a circumstance where I failed. What would you have done? Or you hear other people describe circumstances in in your discussion and think about what would you do? And, oh, maybe that wouldn't have worked because based on what you're telling me. So that's how we can begin to understand where our shortcomings are.
0: And I, and I think the, for me anyway, the operative word is work. You have to work at it. It's not just something you just say, "I'm going to change today and be different tomorrow." And again, until we put it in some kind of practical application, but continue to work at it. Go back to that active listening. It, 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 frankly, it's a pet peeve of mine. And I, and I, and I'm always thinking and looking, and when I'm in conversations. Are people listening and are they having conversations or are they just reacting or are they not paying any attention because they have a story they want to tell? And you can t- you can tell sometimes people's legs are shaking or they're clicking their fingers right They, they They're ready to go, man. The, the starter gun's ready to go off and they want to tell their story almost like whatever you were saying didn't exist. So I, I digress. Pet peeve of mine. You you had a line in, that you had specifically. Uh, in in one of your documents I thought was interesting. And it says, you mentioned learning beyond your role. What, What does that mean?
1: So many people, when they start a job, begin by saying, okay, my job is to run this marketing campaign, write this code, file the invoices. This is what I'm told to do. And hopefully if I do a good job after two or three years, maybe I'll get a promotion, I'll do something bigger. But you really need to look at the bigger picture. You need to understand how are you adding value to your team, your department, your company, your customer, the ecosystem, the supply chain in which you're part of. Because when you say, I know how my piece fits, you can start to understand how you can add more value or cases where the default behavior might not be the optimal solution for this particular circumstance, this one customer, this one project. You can't do that if you sit there with blinders on and just say, well, my job is to you know, follow this process and just rubber stamp what comes to me. So you want to kind of open yourself up, take off the blinders, look at the bigger picture and understand how you're contributing because then you can start to understand other ways in which you can contribute or exceptions to prevent a mistake or increase the value you're delivering.
0: This idea, this concept or reality is so important because so many times when we're taking on a new client and we're talking to you know, the leadership, the president, the CEO, the marketing folks, there's a, somewhat of a clarity. We always look for alignment first. Is everybody on the same page? But we walk down the hallway and talk to the accounting folks or the manufacturing or inventory and start to ask them questions. Their answers are typically about what they do to follow what you're saying and not about their contribution to the whole. And, and I try to explain to people that if if you have a hiccup in inventory management, for example, that means it's going to impact manufacturing because we won't have the inventory to build the product, which means it's going to impact sales, which means it's going to potentially have an impact on accounting We have to lay off some people that has an impact on HR. So there's a role that you play in your contribution and the value that of the whatever you're building or selling or whatever happens to be that comes from your piece. And you need to know that as well. And I think companies really fall down and making sure that their, their employees understand that.
1: They do a terrible job at that because you typically, you know, the onboarding is 30,000 feet or 30 feet, right? You start at the 30,000 foot level and here's the company and history and, you know, the big vision, like, okay, you know, great. That's exciting but now you're trying to figure out how things work. And you're saying at your department, they're saying, here's what to do. Here's how to get onto the system. Here's how to you know, click these buttons to make the widgets turn, whatever your job is. But then there's not that connection back up to your department or other types of uh, aspects of the company. And they, that's where they fail. Now you're not gonna get that day one. And it's kind of silly, we onboard people for a few days, Right, okay, meet Mm -hmm. meet 10 people your first week and get overwhelmed with that fire hose of information. Really what should be done in onboarding process, okay, give them the, the big picture and get them excited and have them do the paperwork and get them the basics. But then over a number of weeks, you should kind of come back to start, you take them from that narrow view of here's your desk, here's your job, figure out which buttons to push. How we start to expand that to here's your team, Here's your department. Here's your division and how it all connects into that. You can't give them that the first week, but we unfortunately stopped training after about a week or two.
0: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I had a client and I was talking to one of their uh, salespeople who had just come on board. Maybe he was there about three months. And I said we were talking about onboarding. He says, yeah, I came in on a Monday. They gave me a catalog and they sent me in the field on Wednesday. <laughs> And, and yep. on the surface, you go, ah, it's a pretty easy product, but it's really complicated. And and a, and a year later, you know, the, he finally felt comfortable in everything he was doing. There was no onboarding. There was no ongoing training, which are things that I brought on, because it you're just kind of floundering around. There was no peer exchange. People were those nose of the grindstone, you know, and smile and dial. And so, you know, you're only concerned about your quotas and your jobs. and. And so I think that, again, is the conversation that we're having here is so important that companies need to take that broader view and to make sure that everybody in that puzzle of the company is contributing to the the clear picture.
1: And one thing that helps that companies traditionally haven't focused on is building an internal network. Most people, unfortunately, they think of networking as, well, that's what I do when I need a new job. So why would I ever network internally? Because <laughs> these people are all at my current company. I need people outside of my company. But you want to build up an internal network as well for a number of reasons, but begins with you start to talk to other people and understand different parts of the business and start to recognize how you fit into this larger machine. Now, companies, I think, have started to do a good job, uh, perhaps ironically, because of COVID. And so we're seeing tools um, like Donut or Sup, those are both plugins to Slack and other instant messaging systems that will say, oh, you two people, you're paired up this week. Now those tools weren't necessarily designed for COVID, they were designed for internal networking of, you two, go get coffee, right? Mm -hmm. Go chat, go just meet each other. Don't talk about work necessarily, you can, but just build those relationships. And of course, now we've all been isolated. Companies, I think, have stepped up to say, you know what? We're not talking to enough people today. We're feeling isolated. So let's throw in that serendipity. Hopefully, that's a trend that will continue post-pandemic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I want to pick up on networking. I'm going to change this subject just a little. But let's go external networking. Because, again, that's a, that's a skill set and how not only... Forget choosing the right organizations to belong to forget about, you know, anything else, but building those relate, well, building your network of people on the external side, whether it's for new business or for future job opportunities. I, I, I find that a lot of folks are, are not good at small talk. You know, it's, I go to these meetings and it's like, what do you do? What's your, what's your job? And it's like, well, don't you want to know about me? You know, and so I, I personally go in and, you know, tell me about yourself, to, you know, to get any kids. And I start that way. And then we eventually get the job. Why? Because I'm trying to build a relationship if it's if there's one there to be built. And so it's much more beyond just that. Sounds like I'm trying to get a get a referral. Um, and, and so do you get into, you know, in your in your program talking about how to network and be a better network networker?
1: We do. In fact, in the course, we actually have a formal networking lunch where I say, this is not a job fair because all the college students know what a job fair is. We say, this is about networking. You're just going to have lunch with these folks and chat with them. <laughs> and that's all this is because that's what we do in the real world, right? I don't meet you at a conference and say, hey, let me give you my resume, right? We sit down, we we get to know each other. And I think the key takeaway to networking is that it is about relationship building now i happen to be an introvert i know a lot of introverts say oh my god i hate networking it's horrible and if you don't want to go into a room of a thousand people and have to chat with 20 of them don't do that right network with people one at a time it's just about meeting one person and building that relationship with the person i hate small talk too i don't want to talk about the weather i don't want to talk about whatever local sports team I want to know about you i want to know about something interesting i'll bet you know something i don't know and i'd love to learn that from you i want to talk about what are your challenges and maybe there's a way i or my company down the road could help i'm not thinking of selling you the first time we're meeting but just keep in mind what are some of the challenges you face personally or professionally i want to get to know you now here's the other key thing The common mistake I see is someone says, all right, I'm gonna walk into a room, 20 minutes later, I've got 10 business cards. Great, I've networked. Getting someone's business card or simply adding them on LinkedIn and saying that they are in your network, that's like going on Tinder, swiping right and saying this person's now my significant other. (laughs) (laughs) That's really what we're doing. But of course we know, right, swipe right on Tinder, well, she's not my fiance. What happens? Well, I have to go ask her on a date. When right? we have to get to know each other, we have to build trust. And that takes time. Same thing in our relationships. You can't just say, oh, add you on LinkedIn. Is this someone who you're going to say, great, introduce me to your CEO? This is where you can say, you know what? I need to borrow $10,000. So glad we met last week. No, you don't have that level of trust. But over time, you're going to build up friendship, even if it's just a professional friendship and trust, and that's what relationships are based on, and that's what networking is, it's relationships. So the key thing, as you forget about what societies you have to join and events, that really depends on you. The most important thing to remember is networking is about building long-term relationships. We all know how to do that, and all of us are capable of networking.
0: I think that, though, and I'll make a statement, and you can agree, most people are bad at that. And the and the reason I say that, and 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 I would say up until five or six, actually, till I started this company, I've i I've, I've had my own companies before, and but I've probably done more networking in the last since 2014 when I started this consulting firm, but. Not only did I go out and meet people, but I managed them. I've got them in databases. I know kind of my close sphere and my next level's out and my bench strengths and who can I go to for certain things. I can honestly say, which I'm I'm admitting on the podcast, that I I was horrible at that throughout the years. I don't know why, but you know, when you move jobs, people move jobs and they eventually move away from 90% or 95% of the people they might've worked with and they don't keep in touch. And I was guilty of that. And and so, you know, kind of going back out there, if you will, and trying to do it differently to really build those relationships. I mean, I now go drinking and have wine with folks. We play golf together, you know, much different than in, in the previous years. I actually had a partner where, where it was a merger thing. And so I ended up being the EVP and he ended up being the president. Eight years later, the we we never had a personal dinner together. And, and why I tried, he was like, well, I like to keep arm's length with the people that I work with. And it was just bizarre as hell to me. But I, I think people struggle with this.
1: And I, I think that's true. And certainly different people. There are some who, Oh, if we're working together, we're going to be great friends. And others say, you're great, but five o'clock, <laughs> you're, yeah, <goodbye>. you're <laughs> someone I don't want to see again. <laughs> Now, I'll I'll share, I was a terrible networker as well. I blew so many opportunities early on. Now, I'll share one of these stories. When I was finishing up my graduate thesis at MIT, my advisor walked me over to the office of Tim Brenners Lee. This is 1997, so he was already well-known and the guy Mm -hmm. who started the World Wide Web. He was housed the W3C, they're housed at MIT. So he walked me into Tim's office and said, oh, this is my student, Mark. Here's his graduate thesis. I think you'd find it interesting. We chatted for five minutes. And okay, that, that was like, thanks. And that was it, right? I just got introduced to Tim Brenners-Lee. Could have followed up because I'd love to talk to you more about what I'm doing or what you're doing. Zero follow-up blew that opportunity. And now if I walk up to him, he's going to say, who the hell are you? Yeah. So I blew many of those opportunities. Now I recognize everyone I meet, it's an opportunity to form that relationship. And so it is it is that mental shift of saying, are you going to do it? Now, I'll give a tip. In the book, I have lots of different techniques for how you can reach out, how you can keep these relationships going. But here's a basic one we can use today. Someone you haven't talked to even in two, five, 10 years, we know they've just gone through a pandemic. (laughs) We can say with certainty. So you can reach out out of the blue and just say, you know what, this has been a really tough year for all of us. Just want to check in and see how have you been? What's going on with you? If you're comfortable saying anything I can do to help you. So going forward, things are better than this past year. And you can do that. Now, this is well, I just described as pandemic specific, you can do that at the start of any year. Reach out any January, any December and say, hey, new year going forward. Ogling zine, should old acquaintance be forgot? Why reach out? How are you doing? What's going on? Anything I can do to help. And that is a timeless way to reach back out to people you haven't talked to.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. Great advice. Great advice. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes you're I'll say me. I'll just say me embarrassed to say man i haven't talked to him in three or four years and kind of reaching out and it's like why and you know what can i do how can i open up that door again to have those conversations and and you know pretty quickly if they're not there um you know and and but i i think the point is to to step forward take a shot at it if it's important versus assuming that it's not right? I think we make, make assumptions that it might be too hard, a lot of extra energy and, but that's about building. And again, the key word here, and you've said it is relationships, not, not business, but relationships, because ultimately it is about trust. It's about confidence people. And then some of the networks I belong to now refer me because they know me, they've have experience with me and they're confident because when they recommend me, it's frankly, it's their butt on the line too, right? Because their reputation for recommending me. So you don't have that relationship. They don't know me at all. Just that they know I do marketing. Well, they may not recommend me or they may be scared to recommend me. So I I think this is a really good and uh, important part of the conversation today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, when you're reaching out, it is a little awkward for all of us when you haven't reached out. Remember, they haven't reached out to you either. Well, that's true. But What's the worst case? They haven't talked to you in eight years. You send an email worst case they don't talk to you for another eight there's really nothing to lose and everything to gain
0: yeah I had a guy I went to college with and uh, we actually had a TV show together I was the director producer he was my talent now I've not seen this guy in 30 plus years and one day I get an e- I get an email and he is like are, are you Angelo Ponzi from from just you know Geneseo and I said yeah and he goes well I'm Bruce we haven't, we haven't talked in whatever, 30, 30 plus years. And all of a sudden we, for the you know, for three or four months, we were talking, I had him on the podcast, we we're learning about his life and our, you know, our histories and things we did in college. And it was great to just to rekindle. So now we ping each other, you know, every couple months and just to say hi, but how much time went by that we could have been doing that all along.
1: I was recently on clubhouse, the social media app. Yep went into a room and a woman there said, wait, I know you. I didn't recognize her. And she said, oh, I think we went to high school together. I'm like, oh, well, only if you were in high school in New Jersey. <laughs> I said, yes. And turns out she went to my high school my year. We were in the same class together. Now, we didn't really interact <laughs> at all. I can't remember if we have ever said any words to each other during four years of high school, but we reconnected. And already we have something in common, right? We grew up in the same area. We had some of the same teachers. We have common experiences. And that's a great place to start. And we met up and we've now become friends, someone who I wasn't friends with 30 years ago, but today we were in different social circles. But, uh, you know, those circles break down certainly post, uh, post high school. And so now we're becoming friendly. So all you need is that one little spark. If you're really relationship oriented, you say, what is it that's the basis for our relationship? What can just open that door? In this case, it was we were in high school together, right? Could be we work together. We have common interests or kids go to the same school. That's a start. Now, it doesn't promise that the other person's going to say, oh, wonderful. Let's be best friends or let's even keep talking to each other. But if you use that as that first spark, you can see if you can build a relationship from there.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. So we're we're kind of winding down here, but I have some more questions. The, the first one, I, and it's gonna, it's way outside of the book, but it's intriguing. You, 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 on your bio, you you say you're a top ranked ballroom dancer. So we got Dancing with the Stars. Uh, so how'd you get into that? And because again, it's It's on the left here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, former top-ranked ballroom dancer. At MIT, uh, the ballroom club was a very big popular activity, particularly during our intercession. And so I just started dating a girl from Wellesley. I thought this would be a fun activity for us to do. So we started doing the ballroom classes. Uh, The relationship didn't last that long, although she's still a friend to this day but I stuck with it and I started dating another woman uh, about a year later. She had a dance background, not ballroom, but she started doing ballroom dancing with me. And about a year after that, uh, maybe less than maybe a few months after that, she decided she wanted to compete which apparently meant I also had decided I wanted to compete. (laughs) But I'm very glad she did that because I then spent my 20s traveling all over the U.S., going to competitions, going to the national championships, and having an absolute wonderful time. And I'll, I'll share with you a business benefit. I was not a great public speaker back in junior high school, high school. I knew I wanted to get better. I did debate club for a bit. I worked on certain things at student government and those helped. But the best thing I did was ballroom dancing because when it comes to public speaking, the number one challenge is confidence, right? Is I'm going to go up on stage. I'm going to have my my pants will be unzipped. I'm going to say something stupid. People laugh at me. When you're on the ballroom floor, you are literally being judged. As you're making many mistakes and you get through it. And sometimes you have a really bad round. You say, Oh my God, that was horrible. That was embarrassing. We did so badly. But it's okay. And you get through it. And so for anyone who wants to get better at public speaking, whether it's ballroom dancing, and there's obviously no speaking, but ballroom dancing, or doing stand up comedy, or improv, or theater or probably even things like martial arts or other sports where you perform, that's going to give you confidence and it will translate into your public speaking.
0: And I'm going to reinforce that. So I was petrified to stand up in front of anybody through junior high and and high school. And and mine, I was, uh, I played in bands and I was a drummer and I used to push my drums back as far as I could get them away from the crowd and got my head down all the time. But when I was in a band in my early 20s, I mean 23, 24, um, playing drums, one of the female singers was standing next to me and heard me singing along with the band, and she said, "You know, you can sing." And I said, "No, I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't." Long story short, she talked me into actually getting out in front and singing a song, and that day my life changed. Because now I wanted to be up front. I actually got off the drums. I picked up a guitar, got myself to be a front man, and and all the bands, the next three or four bands I was in, I was always the singer. Then I started doing a lot of public speaking, and and so that that, that one incident changed my life when it came to public speaking. So as a matter of fact, I've even there's a, a friend of mine, his name's Christopher Caliendo, and he he's a the music he's a musician a very well-known musician and he's actually just created a course on soft skills and how people like myself who've been in music and how they translated that into the ability to do public speaking and, and, you know, leadership roles and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I concur. It's some kind of activity to put you in front of people that gives you that confidence um, versus the shy person standing in the back of the room. You know,
1: this, and all of us, all of us in our different hobbies and activities that are outside of work can develop and pick up these skills, communication skills, building our networks. All of this can translate back into helping us in business, but doesn't have to come from the business world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So I've got, I've got three more things here. What do you think that looking forward and maybe I'm not sure if this is a good question or bad question, but, uh, What are the biggest challenges that you see leadership today, managers, leaders, and then on the flip side, employees that they're facing as we come out of the pandemic?
1: I would say as we are transitioning to hybrid workforces, it will require a different type of leadership. And in particular, we've had in-person companies. We've had remote companies, at least some of us, I've worked at some fully remote companies, but we're going to go, I think, more to this hybrid model. And so making sure we can lead across that where we have more limited in-person interaction and learning how to lead in that type of environment, I think will take a little bit of adjustment. It's not impossible, still some of the fundamentals apply, but we're gonna have to tweak it to work in today's environment.
0: Okay, very good, very good. You're looking at your book, listening to this conversation, what are three to th- three tips, three suggestions if we could sum up the key ones that you'd like to give to the audience?
1: First, remember, these skills are all learnable. Do not be intimidated. Don't say, "Oh, I am a terrible communicator, terrible leader. It doesn't matter. And by the way, since you mentioned ballroom dancing, I was horrible at dancing. <laughs> I was so bad at dancing, I used to dance off-time to techno. But then I started doing ballroom dancing, and because of the discipline and training, I became one of the top-ranked dancers. And all of us, for any of these skills, whether it is dancing or whether it's leadership or these other skills, you can learn them, you can develop them, and you can get better. So I would say, number one, recognize their learnable skills. Number two, recognize it is not about being the best. So I'll give a quick mini story here. Imagine you get a little better at negotiations. Imagine you get now at 25, you have a job offer for $60,000. Say, well, I've learned to negotiate. I'm going to go and negotiate and get that to be $61,000. Now, if you do nothing else in life, if you sit in that job for the next 40 years until you retire... You just got $1,000 more for the next 40 years. You just got $40,000 from one five-minute negotiation. But of course, you're not going to stay in this job for 40 years. You're going to have raises, promotions, other jobs, and you're going to negotiate those for even more than a 1000 So learning to negotiate, not about being the world's greatest negotiator, not about working for the FBI and doing hostage negotiation, just getting a little bit better, has a massive ROI. Learning to negotiate better from salary alone, you can earn six figures more over your lifetime. All of these skills give you that ROI. No one's going to say, oh, you're a bearer communicator. Here's $1,000 more. But when you are a bearer communicator, when you have a stronger network, opportunities will present themselves more often. You will be recognized for your contributions. And that as well can add easily six figures or more to your lifetime earnings. So the second thing to remember is, don't think about I have to be perfect, just think about getting a little bit better has a massive return. And then the third thing to take away is, as we talked about at the start, this is not knowledge transfer. It's not do these three things and poof, you're a great communicator. These are subtle, complex skills, so they are best learned through a peer learning group. And you can download the free guide from my website, you can create that group, Use my book, use this podcast, use articles or other books, whatever source material you want, but discuss it with other people and get that peer learning.
0: All right, well, thank you so much. Wow, that's that's great advice. This has been a really interesting uh, conversation. Um, I, I've definitely walked away with some insights and some tidbits, and I appreciate that. And so if I have, my audience has, and that's what I like to make sure that we always do here at the the Business Growth Cafe. So Mark, why don't you tell the audience about how they can reach you, about where they can buy your book, all that good stuff.
1: You can buy my book at Amazon, as well as local bookstores. You can find out where to buy it, as well as more about the book and these other resources on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. And there, not only can you see more about the book, you can download the resource I just mentioned. I've got links to other great resources you can download the free app for Android and Apple, and that's going to put a lot of these tips on your phone. It's going to pop up every day to help reinforce what you're reading. You don't even have to open the app. All of this can be found on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com.
0: Okay. Does the app, uh, is it is it track with the book, or is it kind of an adjunct to the book?
1: It tracks with the book. So imagine if you went through the book and highlighted all these great tips and quotes, that's what's gonna pop up each day. As you set the time, maybe you want 9 a.m. when you start your day or 5 p.m. when you start, you set the time and then it's gonna pop up one of those tips and what you can even do is say, you know what, I just wanna focus on, for example, my leadership skills. So you can set the app to only do leadership tips and as you read that chapter, as you focus on that skill, you get focused information, focused reminders to just focus on that. And then you say, oh, wait, I've been focusing on leadership. I'm about to go to a networking event. Okay, well, open up the app and then just kind of quickly swipe through those networking tips to get a quick refresher on that as well.
0: Nice. That's a free download for everybody?
1: Absolutely. Free download. No cost. We don't track any data. It is just all there on your phone as a great resource to reinforce the lessons of the book.
0: All right. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining me here at the Business Growth Cafe and... uh... I'm uh, looking forward to hearing any feedback from my listeners and I'll put a link in the uh, in the chat notes when I launch the uh, podcast and uh, hopefully they'll uh, they'll click on it and, and buy a few books.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I've, I've learned a lot of different aspects. This was an incredible conversation in Mark's background. The things that he's done really help support the Career Toolkit. This is a fascinating book. Uh, I hope you'll take the time to uh, frankly purchase it and because I think you'll definitely benefit from it. And I can also benefit from listening to this show. If you're a longtime listener, I appreciate it. And if you're a a subscriber, I really appreciate it. As you know, we have a lot of different guests on each week Uh, for the most part. Sometimes you just have to listen to me but it's always about some kind of advice or something that you, you can use in your, in your work life and sometimes in your personal life to help further your professionalism and your business. And so I encourage you, if you are a subscriber, please continue to listen in. If you are, please let others know about this great content that we have here on the Business Growth Cafe. And I encourage you to let spread the word and let others know about the show. So again, I hope you enjoyed the content. So join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at
1: www.theponzigroup.com.